John chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let his church say, Amen. A little bit of a longer passage this morning. It's a bit comical at times to read the back and forth. I can't help but to think about and notice the irony of this passage about this man who's blind gets better vision than the people who think they have better perfect vision, in fact. Here's this blind beggar Jesus heals him and he helps other people to see. Or at least he shines the light of Jesus so brightly that many people are blinded by the glory of God on display through this man. And it's all in this context of this man's suffering. 
Here's the wonderful lesson in this passage that it teaches. This is the big idea of the sermon, and that is this, that God displays His glory through suffering. God displays His glory through suffering. We read that here. We read Jesus say essentially that, and then we see this in the man's testimony after Jesus has healed him. And this is all going to culminate when we arrive at the end of the passage that the very people who should have their eyes wide open to see that God's glory is displayed through suffering are pronounced by Jesus to be absolutely blind. God is able to do this. God displays His glory through suffering. How can we come to a place where we too can see that God displays His glory through suffering? It's one thing to affirm that you believe that. It's another thing to see that taught in this passage. It's another thing when you are going through suffering in your own personal life. When you are going through a hardship in your own personal life. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. And you're wondering, can God receive any glory at all from what I'm enduring right now? And I hope you'll remember the lesson of this passage of Scripture that God displays His glory through suffering. We serve a mighty God. He can do it. As Travis likes to remind us, we believe in the supernatural. We believe that a great fish swallowed a man and that a virgin had a baby. And it's not a far leap to believe that God can display His glory through our suffering either. So let's look at this passage together and learn how. First, if we're going to see that God displays His glory through suffering, you have to come to Jesus who is the light for anyone blinded by suffering. Apart from Jesus, you'll walk around in darkness as it relates to the suffering that you're enduring. Apart from Jesus, suffering won't make any sense. Apart from Jesus, you won't be able to see the glory of God displayed in your suffering. But when you come to Jesus, and when you look to Jesus, when Jesus finds you, and when Jesus opens your eyes, then you can begin to have the sight to see how God's glory is displayed through suffering. So let's look at this passage. Here are Jesus and His disciples. And they have left the temple. Maybe they're still in the temple area. We really don't know. Is it still the Feast of Tabernacles? Probably not. We really don't know. But here they are walking around and they pass by and we read here right from the beginning that they see this man Blind from birth. How did they know he was blind from birth? Did this man tell them his story? Did they, were they interacting with this man and he disclosed to them that he was blind from birth? Or was this man such a, a common uh, fixture around this area in Jerusalem? Everyone just kind of knew that's blind Bob over there and he just sits and begs for money all day. And people just know the story. We don't know, do we? Did Jesus supernaturally know that the man was blind from birth? And so He disclosed that to His disciples. We don't really know. We aren't, we aren't told. But the disciples end up asking a question with a presupposition built into it. Look at verse 2. Teacher, 
Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. What's the presupposition in their question? The presupposition in their question is suffering can't possibly come from God because if suffering, if a person is suffering, it must be the result of sin. And so is it that this man who was born with this blindness, did he sin at some point in the womb? Or did his parents sin? And is God punishing him with this blindness? Was he the offspring of a child conceived and wedlocked? Did his parents worship idols and go to a pagan temple while his mother was pregnant with him? We don't know. We're not given any of the details, but worked into this question is a presupposition from the disciples. This can't possibly be God's work in His life. It must be the result of someone's sin because this man is suffering with blindness from birth. So what do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, wrong question, knuckleheads. No, look, look at verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Okay, well then what, Jesus? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's the reason for the suffering. The works of God might be displayed in him. Interesting thing about this verb here, it's a passive verb. He won't be able to display the works of God Himself, will He? If He's going to have His eyes opened, someone is going to have to open His eyes. And in fact, that's what we see. Jesus opens His eyes. He's incapable of doing that Himself. And so it is God's work in this man miraculously to open His eyes so that He can display God's glory. However, notice the word there, might. Not only is this verb a passive verb, for those of you who are the Greek nerds in the room, it's also a subjunctive verb. Whoa! How that's really impressive, isn't it? What does that mean? It means that God's glory might be displayed in this man, or maybe not. It depends on how this man is going to view his suffering. It depends on how this man is going to obey Jesus in the midst of his suffering. And in fact, Jesus heals the man and he gives him command. Let's look at this for a moment. Jesus heals the man. He lets his disciples know, I'm the light of the world. I'm here. The works of God must be displayed while I'm here, while it can be seen. So Jesus, he spits on the ground. He makes a mud pie. And I love the word here in the passage in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He anointed the man's eyes. Seems to be playing it up a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, would you want someone to take their spit and their mud to rub it in your eyes? Would you consider that anoint? Probably not. But here Jesus does it and He anoints the man's eyes with the mud pie that He's made. Why do it this way? Why? Why? 
spit on the ground, take mud, rub it together, and then, and then anoint the man's eyes with the mud. Why not just speak to the man? Why not just touch the man? Jesus could have healed the man any way He chose. Why did He do it this way? So many questions left unanswered. Perhaps, perhaps, maybe, Jesus did it this way to show that He's the God who formed man from the dust of the ground and He's the same God who creates new eyes from the dust of the ground. But we don't really know, do we? That's our best guess, I think. Either way, He rubs the mud in the man's eyes and then He gives him the command. Go wash in the pool called Sent. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. It means sent. It's a play on words, right? The pool means sent, so Jesus sends the man to go wash in the pool that means sent. And Jesus says, this is the very reason that I've been sent here to earth is to open blind eyes. And what Jesus is going to do is after He's been sent here to open blind eyes and after He sends this man to go wash in the pool called sent, then He's going to send this man to shine the light for people who are blind. You've got to love all the, the richness of the choosing of the wording here. Jesus sends him, he goes, he washes, and he comes back seeing. Sometimes we struggle with the meaning of suffering, don't we? It's hard to know why we suffer. And if you're alive and breathing, I can assure you, you've endured suffering in your life, or maybe you're enduring suffering presently, or you will endure suffering at some point in your life. Everyone suffers. We can be certain of that. In this world, we will have what? Did Jesus say? Tribulation. We will have affliction. We will have hardships. We will suffer. Well, why is it that we suffer? Is it the result of our sin? Well, I think we all know sometimes some of the suffering we endure in our life is from the consequence of our own sin, isn't it? Sometimes, because of our own sinful choices, we are going through the, the consequences and we are suffering and God is seeking to use those consequences, that suffering that we're going through to show us, to teach us, to discipline us. That's certainly true. Scripture teaches that. Sometimes we endure suffering because of persecution, don't we? Sometimes because of our testimony for Christ, because we are, are faithfully bearing witness to the Lord, we are enduring the suffering of persecution. And Scripture teaches that too. Sometimes we are enduring suffering for neither of those reasons. All suffering, nevertheless, is always an opportunity for God to display His glory through that suffering. So no matter the reason for your suffering, whether the suffering you're enduring right now is because of the consequences of your own sin, you probably should learn the lesson real quick and give glory to God. Or maybe the suffering you're enduring is the result of persecution. Well, we know that glorifies God. So be thankful, as the Apostle said in the book of Acts, that God has counted you worthy to suffer for His sake. The sake of the Gospel. 
But we should always be looking for the opportunity to glorify God in our suffering. No matter what. So the question is, how will we suffer? Will we suffer in such a way that we look to obey Jesus in our suffering? And so in this way, the man becomes an object lesson by Jesus, doesn't he? He uses this man to show the purpose of his ministry. He opens the man's eyes so that the disciples can learn and understand that Jesus is the one who opens spiritually blind eyes. And He uses the man and sends the man as a witness to all these different people we're going to see here in a moment that He might shine the glory of God. The glory is too luminous for some people. It blinds them like the Pharisees. But without Jesus, we will be blind to the meaning of suffering. And without Jesus, we'll be tempted to draw horrible, terrible conclusions about God. We might reason, well, maybe God's, all, maybe God's not all-knowing like I thought He was. Because if God was all-knowing, the all-knowing God would see my suffering. He would know it. So maybe God doesn't know my suffering. So maybe God's not all-knowing. Or maybe... He knows about my suffering, but maybe God's not all-powerful like I thought He was. Maybe He knows my suffering, but He's not powerful enough to stop my suffering. Or, and I think this is the most sinister of the false conclusions that we can draw, maybe God's not loving. Maybe everything that I thought that I believed about the all-knowing, all-powerful God was a lie, and God is not loving like I thought He was because He's allowing this suffering. You see, without Jesus, we will be blind to the meaning of our suffering. But when we look to Jesus, the meaning and the reason for suffering becomes clear. Here's the reason why. Because when we look to Jesus, we see the ultimate meaning of suffering. Jesus suffered, didn't He? Jesus suffered upon the cross. He suffered the punishment for sin on the cross, didn't He? And in His suffering upon the cross, He revealed God's love as He suffered on the cross. And His suffering the punishment of sin and revealing God's love was the ultimate display of what? God's glory as He suffered upon the cross. Here is Jesus fully man and fully God, He fully knew the hells that He would have to suffer on the cross. And He went to the cross anyway. Here is Jesus, fully man and fully God, powerful to stop His arrest and going to the cross. And He goes willingly like a suffering servant. And being all-knowing and being all-powerful, He went to the cross in obedience to the Father, to glorify the Father in all that He did on the cross, and to display God's love. You see, without Jesus, our suffering won't make any sense, will it? It will seem pointless. It will seem meaningless. But when we look to Christ, we see One who perfectly glorified the Father in everything that He did 
including His suffering. And God can display His glory in my suffering and your suffering too. But you have to look to Jesus. He has to open your eyes. You have to come to Him. Or else, you and I will be blind to the meaning of our suffering. So that's first. Second, here we see the result of this. Jesus is the light for anyone blinded by suffering. He, he opens blind, blind eyes. He helps us to see that our suffering can glorify God. And then here's what happens. God displays His glory through suffering and He sends us to share the light with those who are enduring suffering. Notice, by the way, I think it's just important to emphasize for a moment here this man's suffering didn't end just because Jesus opened his blind eyes, did it? Jesus didn't do this miracle and say, well, guess what? Not only am I doing this miracle of healing your blind eyes, also, you're never going to have any suffering ever for the rest of your life. This man still had suffering to endure in his life. He still died, didn't he? His eyes went back at some point to being blind. Physically speaking, at some point upon his death or sooner, we don't know. He still had to endure suffering, didn't he? And yet, his perspective has totally changed because his eyes have been opened to how God can display his glory in suffering. And so what does he do? He goes out and begins to shine the light. Look at verse 8. The action picks up quickly in the narrative. Immediately, word gets out. Immediately, the word, the word gets out. Old, blind, beggar Bob has gotten his sight, the neighbors say. Look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? They can't believe it. Some say, oh, it's impossible. That can't be him. It's a lookalike. And the man, do you see that there in verse 9? What's he keep saying to them? I am the man. Well, then how were your eyes open? Well, this guy, Jesus, he spit on the ground, he made mud pies, he put it in my eyes, he sent me to the pool, and I came back seeing, and now I have my sight back. Well, where is he? And I love the man's response. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know where he is. Where is Jesus? I wouldn't, Jesus was standing right there before me. He wouldn't know what Jesus looked like, would he? He doesn't know. Where is Jesus? I don't know. I don't know where he is. Some people will be surprised when we share the light with them. Here the neighbors, they are surprised by what's happened to this man. And some people that we share the light with are going to be surprised by God's glory being displayed through our suffering. What's the most beloved hymn in all of church history? You probably could probably come up with a good top three, but in your top three is going to be what? Amazing Grace. You know, John Newton, the author of that hymn, was a terrible person at one point in his life. Did you know that John Newton was a slave trader? He had a ship, and he, he took slaves and, and sold them 
John Newton was a terrible person before Christ saved him. And God's grace found John Newton through different aspects. He almost drowned. Uh, a woman shared the Gospel with him who would later become his wife. And he read Thomas Akempis's Imitation of Christ. And those were the three things that the Lord used to save John Newton. And John Newton wrote Amazing Grace as his own personal testimony. And how does he describe grace? It's surprising. It's what? Amazing grace. You know that first verse by heart, don't you? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Some people are going to be surprised by God's glory on display in your life. You too might be surprised by God's glory on display in your life. There's a second category of people. Some people will be surprised. Others will be skeptical. You see the Pharisees here. Verse 13. The Pharisees are skeptical of God's grace on display. These Pharisees are blind as bats. Don't let them fool you. They can't see the nose on their face. So the neighbors, they take this man to the Pharisees to probably a council of the Pharisees and they need an explanation. Here's blind beggar Bob. He's received his sight. I think this is him. And we need an explanation for this. And notice his name's changed, right? You see that in verse 13? His name's changed. No longer is he the man born blind from birth, but in verse 13, his name's been changed to the man formerly who's formerly been blind. So they take this man to a council of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are absolutely skeptical about it, and they have their own presuppositions about who opens blind eyes. Only men from God can open blind eyes, and all men from God keep the Sabbath, and because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day, He must not be from God. That's what they're thinking here. Also, others reason only a man from God can open someone's blind eyes and this man's eyes are opened so it's not possible for a sinner to do such signs. And so, verse 16 says that there is a schism among them. That's the word in Greek. There's a division among them. There's a schism between them. There's a difference of opinion and they are, are arguing amongst each other. Because they're skeptical. They don't, they don't know what to do. And in the ultimate twist of irony in this narrative, this man who, is, who was born blind has to give testimony to these blind Pharisees. So they ask him, well, what do you say about this guy who opened your eyes? He must be a prophet. The man has gone from spiritually blind to not knowing who Jesus is to now identifying Jesus as a prophet. And by the time we get to the end of this chapter, he's going to confess Jesus as Lord. 
And so the eyes of this man are being opened and he's shining the light with these Pharisees and it's, quite frankly, it's blinding them. It's so bright they can hardly look into it. You know, I got my glasses when I was in my 20s and I was coming home from my job each day with headaches and I was skeptical about my need for glasses. I didn't want to admit it. Old people wear glasses. I'm in my 20s. I don't need glasses, but I finally went to the eye doctor and had my vision checked, and guess what? I needed glasses. I remember I got the prescription, and I went and, and you know, did the whole thing, and picked out glasses, and ordered frames, and the whole thing. And I remember the day I went and picked up those glasses, and I'm sitting there, and I go in, and I say, okay, now, now, David, we're going to try on your glasses. And I remember I put those glasses on and I did a double take. Trees that were green. Did you know those trees had green leaves on them? Here I thought Gina Marie's hair was just brown. She actually had brown strands of hair that I could see for the first time. Oh, my sight wasn't quite that bad. It is now. But I was skeptical about my need for corrective vision. Thought my vision was fine. You know, a lot of people are the same way. They think that they have 20-20 vision of God, of morality, of their own spiritual condition. They judge, they think they have a perfect view of themselves, and they are skeptical if you tell them that they need Jesus to rightly view God and sin and morality in their own lives. They're skeptical of that. Why? John tells us, in his conversation, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus about Jesus being the light, Jesus says that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's the reason they're so skeptical, right? They hate the light. If they were to receive corrective vision from Jesus and if their eyes were to be opened, then they would see what? They would see a wretch like me staring back at them in the mirror. And so John says that people reject the light, they hate the light because they love their sin. And so they're skeptical. The amazing thing about grace, not only is it surprising, but it gives us an opportunity to display God's glory. And He uses our testimony in our lives, to shine the light brightly even in the midst of our suffering. There's a last category of people here I think we need to see. There are those who are surprised, there are those who are skeptical, and then there are those in this passage who are silent. The Pharisees continue their investigation and they do a little research, don't they? They bring in the man's Poor parents. To verify the identity of this man. Verse 18 tells us the Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Until when? They called his parents to verify his testimony. And so here they bring in the man's parents. Is this your son? Blind beggar Bob? Yeah. That's him. Was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. 
Well, how is it that he can see? We have no idea how he can see. He's of age. You should ask him. Why'd they say that? For fear? They feared what? They feared, look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. If these parents said, Jesus opened his eyes because he is the prophet from God, he is the Messiah, these parents of this man will be shunned. They'll be put out of the synagogue. They will be made lepers in their own community, in their own family, in their own life and livelihood. Who knows how terribly it would upset their life and ruin and destroy their life just by confessing Jesus is Lord. And so what do they do? They remain silent. And if you don't believe that the Jewish leaders would do that, wait till you get to the end of this chapter and guess what they do to this blind man? They put him out of the synagogue and shun him. Some people, when you share the light with them, will be silent. And they're silent because of what it would mean if they confess Jesus is light. They'll be shunned maybe from a church that doesn't preach the Gospel. That might happen to them. They might be put out by their family. They might be put out by their job. They might be ridiculed. They might receive persecution. Who knows how it will upset and change their life. And so some people remain silent. But God is so faithful to use our witness. He uses our witness as a means to shine the light into people's souls so that their blind eyes can be opened. And He uses our suffering just like this man who was blind from birth. He uses our suffering as a testimony to that end. How many of you have ever broken a piece of pottery or maybe a coffee mug? Have you ever tried to glue back together a coffee mug that you've dropped and broken? Try to use super glue, it never quite looks the same again, does it? You can see the cracks, the cup leaks, you drip coffee on yourself and in your house, the broken pot, the broken vase, it never looks the same again. How many of you have ever heard of kintsugi art? It's Japanese. Japanese art, and what the Japanese will do is they'll take broken pieces of pottery and they'll put them back together. And rather than trying to conceal the places where this pottery has been broken, they use a golden color mortar and glue the pieces of pottery back together, creating a new, beautiful piece of artwork. It's kind of like what God does in our life, isn't it? He takes all of what seems to be the broken, useless pieces to us, and if we tried to put it back together ourselves, let's be honest, it would look like a mess, wouldn't it? 
But when we give all those pieces to God, He displays His glory through them and creates something beautiful that's used to share the light of Jesus with others. So look to Jesus and shine the light. And God will display His glory through your suffering. Let's pray.